This is Invest Like a Honeybee, the podcast where you learn to be smart with your money and invest wisely. Before we get started, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. I'm not an investment advisor. Please make sure you discuss any changes to your portfolio with your registered advisors. I may continue to hold stocks I discuss in this podcast or not, depending on when you listen to this podcast. This is about Invest Like a Honeybee. I'm Henry J. Speck. Let's get started. This week, my guest is Ian Williams, an author, business consultant, just finished a book and published a book called Soil and Spirit. Now, in what Grandpa Learned from the Honeybees, I talk about the environmental impacts of what honeybees do. And eco-regeneration is part of what Ian does in his consulting to companies and different businesses. He has a very unique perspective and how first the challenge is to, I guess if I could summarize what I got out of our discussion, get right with yourself, put things in balance, which then lets you take on the world. Interesting, just a fascinating interview, I thought. And um, so here's here, here's my interview with Ian, and I hope you uh, get as much out of it as I did. And it, and it really gets you thinking about some things that are important when it comes to being a sound investment, um, responsible investor, where you also think of the environment. Here's our interview. Well, Ian, thanks for joining me. How you, where, where part of the world are you in today? I am in Minnesota, here in the Midwest. Man, all those lakes, do you fish? I'm not a huge fisher. Uh, <sighs> the irony is that I, I grew up fishing with my grandfather, uh, he was into trolling, which I, at the, as a kid, I just thought it was the most boring activity it's in the world. Boring. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. recently visited my cousin who's out in San Fran. Yep. Big into fly fishing. Uh, so that's my most recent fishing experience. And I, I could see myself doing a little fly fishing on the trips to the Boundary Waters, but nice. I'm no, not a big fishing. fisher. I'm a fly fisher too. I, I, I just, I don't care if I catch anything. It's just nice to get out there and just yeah. do our thing. So, Ian, you've got such a broad back. I know you've got a book just came out. We're going to talk about that. But if you could just start telling me kind of what got you to where you are today in about five minutes. <laughs> in about five minutes. That's well, either a long timetable or a short one. <laughs> just so um, people could learn. You know, it's about inspiring people to because you're obviously in a great place right now. So if whatever you think, it's, it's up to you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, well, I'll give the hopefully 30 second in a nutshell professionally, and then I'll backtrack and do a little bit of the personal story. Uh, right now, author, speaker, business advisor. So just released a book, as you mentioned. Thank you. Um, I also do speaking engagements, whether it's podcasts, live organizations, et cetera. And then as a business advisor, uh, myself and team, um, we work as consultants with organizations, primarily mission-driven organizations who are trying to uh, address grand challenges like social and environmental justice. We're really capacity builders, we're process facilitators. So we focus on uh, operational efficiency and effectiveness, employee well-being and engagement, and then social and environmental impact. So that's a different conversation, but that's what I do professionally. Uh, I actually come from a background in education uh, and got a master's degree in public affairs with an emphasis in leadership strategy and organizational culture. So that's the boring stuff. We'll get it out of the way. Let me ask uh, you something before, you, if you can press pause, because I have a, I just came back from a three-day environmental conference. Yeah. And my purpose going was to just understand that whole industry, if you will, because we're doing 
um, basically we restore land back to nature. We did the 50 acres here. We just picked up another 95 acres last week uh, that was clear cut logged in Nova Scotia. It's a beautiful piece of property, but they just destroyed it, right? So our, our idea is ecosystem regeneration. But here's the idea that got me when I was at this conference in Toronto. It was an international conference, United Nations, Walmart was there, you know, all the supposed do-gooders. Sorry for saying that, but <laughs> the word fraud kept coming into my mind when people were talking about environmental greenwashing. I said, why don't you just call it fraud? Because that's what it is. My idea is this. So I'm I'm in a, you know, I'm in a fairly large house, 36 whatever it, it it we probably took out six thousand square feet of nature to live where i'm living right now that's my footprint forget the co2 and all that but the physical footprint of destroying natural land so i said to myself the other day as i was on the treadmill i thought wouldn't it be common sense if we give people an opportunity to replace this land like i'm not going to tear down my house and plant trees but what if i could take the six thousand square feet i've displaced with nature honeybees pollinators and all that and do it somewhere else not not to forgive me for my sin but just the reality is as a human we need some space i probably didn't need this much but the point is what are your thoughts on that as an expert just for two minutes because it's just on the top of my head so we would call it an environmental footprint credit yeah which is verified by arborists and and you know it's clear it's not a scam it's registered on title like that 95 acres we're going to regenerate what are your thoughts on that just we could have a two-minute discussion on that i think it's a really interesting idea um but and and naturally since we're just spitballing right there's a lot of ways to pressure test it uh the first thing that comes into my mind which is a bit more philosophical is you know, you take the concepts of capitalism and consumerism, which the Western world has essentially built itself upon, right? And you've what what has been created is what I would call an infinite growth paradigm. And that infinite growth exists on a planet, which in the ways that we use it now has finite resources. So you have these mutually exclusive, incompatible uh, paradigms which are at play, you know? So, okay. So you took out uh, a footprint. Um, and for those of us who live, whether it's, you know, an apartment building or a house or whatever, um, as population growth continues to happen, there's simply going to be more and more footprints because housing is going to be more and more necessary, which means there's going to be less and less land. So eventually you run out of space to repurpose your footprint of your home elsewhere. So that's just like a fundamental thing which popped into my head as you were as you're riffing there. The real question I think is um and and hopefully we'll get into this discussion today but is how are we regenerating the land, right? Because you can replace the footprint of your home by doing something like a green roof. Um and that's not accessible to people who don't have the economic resources to pay for it. No, no, hang on. So what I'm talking, let me be more specific. That's my fault. So what I'm talking about is, you know, because we did it here on the farm and we kind of know how it happens. If you want to let things, basically a big one is hands off, but to inter back, introduce the species of, of flowers and plants, introduce clovers, which are a little extra, but will add to the wildlife. And we're talking about vegetative restoration. Like we're not talking that this is the greenwashing you're talking about that. I hate people say, well, I can, 
I sorry, no disrespect, but it's, I call it the Catholic solution because I was Catholic for a while. I can sin over here as long as I do my penance and say I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So I can pollute this river as long as I'm planting trees in South America, which I think is ludicrous. So we're talking a link between because my big concern and I'll stop is that me as a person, I as a person or anyone as a person can talk about bad oil and all that. But what can I do today? So we're, you know, our idea is like 25 bucks a year for one credit, which will do the footprint of a typical apartment or reasonable house, maybe two if you have a big yard. So for 50 bucks a year, you can offset your footprint of that physical space and switch that to nature. You know, and every year you get a drone and a certification and affidavit saying, yeah, this is really happening in Nova Scotia or wherever. So I hear what you're saying, but I, I guess I just wanted to fine tune that. We're talking a one for one exchange. I tore, uh, someone tore down trees to build this house because it was here before I got here. Um, we're now going to say, OK, let's let's make good on that because we're going to add it. Absolutely. I mean, I think the easiest place to start, like, again, let's look for the lowest hanging fruit, because the reality is we need to move and we need to move fast. Um, you know, in my heart of hearts, we should just do away with lawns. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I hate lawns. Thank you, know, you. I wish mine would die, but the darn thing won't die. The, uh, <laughs> the functionality of them oh. is it's there for a, a small, I think a, a small subsect of the population. Um, you know, but if you took the acreage of lawn in the United States, um, I think it's roughly equivalent to the acreage that we have under cultivation for agriculture. It's a monumental amount of land. Like in uh, Minnesota, you know, I just cold uh, crop planted some clover. You just have to throw the seed on top of the uh, and the the ebbing and cracking and the frost will make it go down and plant. You'll have clover and you never have to cut your grass. Again, I have battles with the municipality here because they use Roundup on the sides of the roads to kill all the grass and the wildflowers. And I have wildflowers along my part of the ditch, they call it, that has no water in it. They refuse to stop cutting and spraying that, even though we have 50 acres of wildflowers on the other side of the fence I put up. So this is the, and if you drive from my house to Niagara Falls, which is a three-hour drive in the summer, you won't find any wildflowers along the road, nothing. It's all cut and sprayed. So that's a great example. Yeah. And I, I mean, to think about, again, what are the resources that we have in place, right? Um, one thought that has crossed my mind, and it's, I don't think it's original to me. I think I heard about this initiative years ago, and I don't know if it ever got legs, but, you know, we've got 35, uh, Interstate 35, which runs from the north all the way to the south, right? And it's prime uh, monarch migration path, right? I mean, you've got an you've got a, a median that stretches thousands of miles, which is we're we're using we're burning fossil fuels to keep it cut and maintained. Why not plant wildflowers? Why not? What, what's your answer to that question? Because the farmers around me, by the way, get 10 to 15% more production, regardless of what they grow, just because I have bees on this 50 acres. They never knock on the door and say, thanks, Hank, for the for the increased production. But yeah. but there is a benefit economically, not to mention future generation and healthcare and so on. So why do you think we don't do it? Because it's a great business model, right? It makes sense for business. I think... I think what we're talking about here exists at the intersection of the public and the private sector, right? Um, so if we just take that, right, uh, that example, let's just take Interstate 35 and let's plant wildflowers mm. the entire median length, several thousand miles north to south. 
Um, that's an interstate policy decision, which is naturally going to be more challenging. Um, and so there's there's politics involved, but then there's also you're at this intersection, right, which is where the private and public markets play. And that is just naturally a messy space. And the other thing that I think is important to mention in this conversation is that there's no one size fits all easy solution. Every decision that we make has an impact somewhere. And, you know, and we can look at nature to learn this lesson, right? It's balance. Uh, there's give and take. And she has perfected that art. Mother Nature has perfected that process. But it's not in a have and have nots, right? It's not that paradigm. It's a more, it's more of a healthy negotiation, not compromise. So I think the reality, you know, my, that's a, a long kind of philosophical mm -hmm. answer. My shorter answer for you, which is more direct into the point is like, it's people, yeah. you know, okay, people let's keep are going the on. ones that are making I want you to go back to your, your history. Thanks for that diversion, but that's more than fun. Sorry about that. But if you can keep going yeah. now on, on yourself and how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to go back. Um, you know, I mean, my relationship with nature, I think started uh, early in childhood. I wouldn't, my mother would not call herself a naturalist, uh, but I would. Um, you know, she just loves being outdoors, right? And I, I use that term in, in uh, uh, generalities. But, you know, so camping trips, horseback riding, hikes, winter activities. I mean, we were just outside a lot. And it was great. And it was free. It was affordable, you know. Um, and those things, I, I would say, no pun intended, kind of planted the seeds for my relationship with nature. Um as an adolescent, got pretty deep into drugs and alcohol, and substance use spanned about 12 years of my life. And as I got serious about healing, and as I got serious about my recovery, um, nature naturally found its way back into my life. Again, no Can I ask how you got out of that? Do you mind sharing a little bit? Honestly, nature was a big part of it. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a deep story, and there were a lot of kind of pivotal moments along the way. Um, but it started with, uh, so I had a dog for a few years and she wasn't the healthiest of pups. So we put her down a little early. Um, she was probably only six at the time. And we had just tried everything and it got to the point where it was just, it was no longer tenable. Um, and I realized it was not only affecting our quality of life, but it was also her quality of life. And within the first week after she passed, um, I was laying in bed awake at night one night, just staring at the ceiling and she came to visit. Um, and it was this truly mystical experience. It was profound. I still don't really have words for it. Um, I can only tell people that it happened. And when I woke up in the morning, um, and still to this day, I use journaling as a means of emotional processing. And I was writing about the experience as if it were a dream. And it was during that writing process where I realized it was awake. And so it just completely shattered my idea of what reality is and was. And that, that sparked a massive undertaking of self-study. Do you feel um, human spirits? Sorry, do you feel human spirits too? Or was it just that one event with your dog? Yeah, I mean, since then, you know, um, I got pretty serious about the process of self-cultivation. And so, yeah, I can feel multiple uh types of subtle energies and spirits um but it but that was a one-of-a-kind experience in that it was the first and that it was in the way that it happened you know like i could see her i could hear her but she didn't make an imprint on the mattress 
And there's a difference between that and what I now would associate with, you know, sensitivities on an energetic level, um, where you're more sensing as opposed to really experiencing. And that's just my experience. But again, it's, it's a bit of an aside. Um, so, you know, therein lies this, this pretty deep uh, journey of self-study and nature, again, found its way back in my life uh, or, or vice versa. But I would just disappear into nature. Uh, and I would spend hours, you know, what I'd wander and I'd get lost and I'd sit under a tree and, um, or I'd, you know, disappear on a solo camping trip, or I'd just go to the city park because it was what was close and I needed to unplug that afternoon. And it was a place where I felt like the, the term that I use is it was a distillation process. I would allow all of the things that were surfacing, which were the reasons why I was using substances, right? So depression, anxiety, et cetera. These things were surfacing during my self-study and I could go to nature and allow them to, you know, go through this refinement process, this distillation process. And it allowed me to release some things, but more importantly, it allowed me to uh, feel connected again. I had were felt you in very... school? Sorry, were you in school or working or what were you doing at the time? Yeah, I was um, both and in okay. school, out of school, starting to work. Um you know, eventually back into school. But yeah, I was, I guess when I was really doing the deep work, I was mostly working at the time. Um, but that, that was really, it was an, it was an integral part of my healing process. And it's an integral part of my theory of change in terms of, you know, how we're going to, to try and tie it back to addressing these grand challenges, one being climate change. It has to start with having a relationship with nature it's really hard to care about something if you don't understand the role that it plays in your life and how it impacts you on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so from a theory of change perspective, that's all really, um, it's in to out for me. Same with organizations. We work in to out and same with the individual and you know my speaking and teaching. It's in to out. Focus on the inner work that you have because the things that are either unseen or unspoken or that you're unaware of are the things that are putting limitations on your ability to be an effective agent of change, to experience life the way that you want to, etc. And for me, nature was this bridge, not only between myself and the quote-unquote external world, but it was also a bridge between where I was at at the time and insight and perception that sparked healing. So how do you help companies do that? Like, if I could just switch now toward day-to-day -day for you because i'm gonna ask you a couple other questions but if you are you primarily a consultant now or what's your main uh daily well let me ask you this what's your typical day like I, i'll ask everybody this one question at the end but i'll ask you now from the time you get up to the time you hit this, hit the hay what's a typical day for you yeah i wake up in the first 90 minutes are devoted to myself uh and my practices and that looks different every single day um so as i was you know mentioning my healing process I went pretty deep into the energy arts, um, yoga, meditation, qigong, tai chi, martial arts. Um, and so I've got a few sets and practices that I can kind of cycle through. But it's just quiet, solitude, devotional time. Um, might be some exercise in there. It depends on when I fit that in during the day. Morning is devoted to um, what I would consider my highest and best use of time and energy. I feel like I'm here as a teacher. Um, Apple didn't fall far from the tree in that sense in terms of my, my family roots. 
Um, and I've had a number of people encourage me to do it over the years. So I finally just got it through my hard head that this is kind of what I'm here to do. So the morning is devoted to things like this. Um, trying to find speaking opportunities, working on the book, um, now working on the next parts of the book, right? The audio book, the companion book, um, eventual e-course to follow. Lunchtime, usually break and exercise. Um, and then afternoon is usually filled with consulting clients. And then evenings are, you know, family time. So doesn't necessarily look super different than, you know, the average person working the nine to five. Uh, but, you know, when you're self-employed, you're all things unto the organization. And so, you know, there's always shuffling of the deck that has to happen in terms of, you know, got to put a little bit more energy and attention into marketing or admin or accounting or whatever. Um, but I mean, really what I'm trying to do is maximize the highest value of my time, which I think is speaking and teaching and working with organizations directly to, you know, build capacity and culture. Are you a staff of one or do you have employees? Fortunately, I have a small team um and we're you know we're growing so we're figuring that out um i'm still the primary primary contact person but uh you know realizing that when you're growing a business you can't do all things and if you are doing all the things then you're putting your own limitations on the organization um and so it didn't take me too long to figure that out so finally okay, i want to make sure we get a lot in on your book can you tell me a little bit about the book and the process because you know, I've done a few and they're excruciatingly painful. I just find them so difficult. Unfortunately, I did this with Mary, the, my my one that we released. But tell me about your process and, and what the book's about and, and how, how did you get to the end of doing it? Because you're throwing it out there. When you write a book, it's kind of like out there, right? Yeah. Uh, how, how was the process and how did you do it? Yeah. So uh, the book is Soil and Spirit, Seeds of Purpose, Nature's Insight, and the Deep Work of Transformational Change. So it's really a book about transformational change. And again, that theory of change being, we got to do this work into out. So there's four different sections of the book. Uh, and I kind of think about them like concentric circles. The first is the internal landscape and the inner world, moving to the uh, social landscape, moving to the external landscape, the physical natural world, moving to the spiritual landscape. The idea being, if we can do our own internal work and alignment processes, we're going to naturally impact the world around us in a healthier, more effective way. So that's the quick synopsis. Um, but it's really a book about change, personal and spiritual cultivation for the sake of, you know, bettering the world around us. Um, and it uses nature and nature analogies as a touchstone and teaching method throughout. It's also, you know, kind of in this spiritual ecology place of we need to do this on behalf of the world. And at the same time, all the answers we seek are already within nature. Logistically, did you go like, I'll write an hour a day, two hours a day, so many words a day? Like, what was your grind process? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> what I tell people now is it's a two and a half year saga, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, but from when I started, which was September of 2020, um, I started writing the book the day I went back to grad school, basically. Um, and I was working full-time, consulting part-time, um, in school full-time. And so it was just naturally a busy time in life. And so the way that I had to do it was I would structure the first, um, I'd wake up, I'd have my, you know, my 90 minutes in the morning to myself still. And then from seven to nine before my workday started, I was, I was cranking out the manuscript. Um, the way that I got over my writer's block 
was I dictated the entire first draft. So I opened up Microsoft Word and I turned on the speak feature um, and I went to town. I've, I've got a you know an organizational skill set in mind. And so I already had the um, outline of the book written. So it was basically like I already had the table of contents and I would just go section by section and I would dictate. Um, wrote the first draft or spoke the first draft in about 90 days, did a 100 day stretch goal. Um, and then entered, you know, the period of saga, which is, you know, multiple rounds of editing, finding an organization that was going to help do the, you know, design, cover design, publishing, uh, distribution, et cetera, all that stuff. Um, so I've been working with a company called Scribe Media, and they've been instrumental in doing all of the kind of back-end administrative stuff, as well as some of the design and layout stuff that I knew I didn't want to figure out in the first place, um, nor did I have the time. That kind of administrative work for me is soul sucking. Um, I'm naturally a <laughs> kind of creative, generative person. So I didn't want to figure out, you know, how to set up an Amazon author account or how to, you know, set up distribution accounts, all that stuff, printing. I didn't, I didn't want to figure it out. Um, what so I just, school were you? What, what were I you studying? Yeah, so I went to the University of Minnesota. So I went to a local school here uh, at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs. Hubert Humphrey was a, a big yeah. public affairs guy here in the Twin Cities. Um, school's named after him. So I have a master's in public affairs, but I chose a program that allowed me to self-design my own emphasis. So I have an emphasis in leadership strategy and organizational culture. Uh, the reason that I went back to a public affairs school, but then focused on the private sector in my studies was because I feel like that intersection, like we were talking about earlier, is a crucial place where we need more time, attention, and energy um, spent. So, you know, I wanted the values of the public school, but I wanted to focus on the private because um, the older I've gotten and the more that I've studied this climate crisis, the more I think we need solutions, not only at scale, but also with speed. And the private market is the better way to do it with speed. So tell uh, me, it, it, I hate to interrupt, but, but I want to get to this before we finish. So if I call you up and say, okay, I've got a factory, I've got 100 people. I don't, this is hypothetical. But if I have a factory with 100 people, I've heard about you, I'll do a consult with you initially. What would you tell me you could do to help me with, say I'm in an old style industry, I make um, stainless steel parts for the dairy industry. Let's say that's my company, just a small yep. town company. And I, yep. and I want to do more, I guess, for the environment, which would be why I would contact you. So what would what would you do to help me? How would that look? I know it's individual, but just to give us an idea. Yeah, absolutely. Hypothetical. So first off, I'll just be really clear, and I'll put a line in the sand that says, we are not environmental consultants. We won't come in and measure your footprint. There are plenty of organizations already out there doing that, you know, and also telling you here's how to mm. uh, lower your footprint. That's not what we do. It goes back to our theory of change, which is in to out. It's people first. So we've got three buckets, and we can, you know, they're modular. We can just do one with any organization, or we can do all three in succession, Depends on what the organization wants and needs. Those three buckets, as I mentioned earlier, um, operational efficiency, organizational effectiveness. The second is employee well-being and engagement. The third is social and environmental impact. So from a theory of change standpoint, we've all been a part of organizations, I think most of us have, where you, you, you like the mission, um, but there are roadblocks and barriers in terms of the way the organization is structured and the way that it runs. You know, so the typical example is 
I'm working 60 hours a week, but if we were more efficient, I could probably be working 40 and spend more time with family, right? Or, you know, just antiquated business processes, et cetera. Everybody's putting out fires on a day-to-day basis that they probably don't need to be putting out, putting out if they just took the time to ask the systemic questions and do the investigatory work to figure out what's causing this problem upstream. Let's go fix the problem there. And then it creates this delta of capacity downstream when now we've got more time and energy because we're not putting out fires. So that's the organizational effectiveness stuff. Once we build that capacity within the organization, now we can have a much more sustainable and authentic conversation about employee well-being and engagement. Um, Organizations are often struggling with employee engagement because their employees are on the verge of burnout. And the, again, perhaps many of us has had the experience of We've got this three-hour workshop on this afternoon where we're going to do an employee well-being training. And it's cool for three hours, and then you never think about it again. So it really doesn't change the way that you live your life. It doesn't change the way that you do your work. So in our well-being and engagement services, we're either delivering a 12-week program uh, focused on some foundational skill sets of well-being in the workplace and out of the workplace, or... We're doing a qualitative uh, investigation process that allows us to design custom employee well-being programs for organizations based off of the things that their employees say they want to know or learn or do. And then that brings us to the third uh, bucket of our work, which is again, this in-to-out process. Once we clean up the operations and then we help make the people healthier, more resilient, now we can focus on what is the impact of this organization socially or environmentally? So all organizations are mission-driven by nature, right? And there's a, there's a subsect of mission-driven organizations that we might call social enterprises, right? Their, their entire mission is not about making widgets or in, you know, in this hypothetical example, producing dairy. Um, it's about actually trying to serve in a different way. We don't necessarily care. The point is, We've built the capacity to have a more sustainable conversation about well-being. We've also built the capacity to have a more sustainable conversation around this organization's social or environmental impact. And so this is where we really get high touch. And it's a lot of white glove service in the sense of um, it's it's the same systematic process that we use to design custom employee well-being trainings, except we're we're switching the content. Now we're asking um, the people at the organization, what do you care about socially? What do you care about environmentally? We aggregate all that data. We mock up a couple uh, hypothetical programs. We present those to the leadership as well as the entire organization. We get more feedback. We go back to the drawing board. We iterate a second time. And then we're presenting a final social and environmental impact program, which is built upon the foundational tenets of the people in the organization and what their values are. So it's not a one size fits all. It's a really custom, high-touch approach to building programming for social and environmental impact. So it could okay. be you know, volunteering in the community, or it could be an environmental initiative. Let me ask you this. We've only got a few minutes. Back when I was a clinician, one of the challenges we had was the cross-disciplinary approach to handling a problem. So I'll give you a quick example, and then I want to get back to what you just said. So with concussions, for example... There is clear evidence that the small percentage of people who don't recover 
have multiple problems, including possibly issues with the pituitary gland. There's clear evidence that the pituitary gland helps the brain regenerate. So most people who don't recover from concussion, it's not because they had one or had a severe one. It's because their body won't regenerate the brain. So when we would go to ask uh, endocrinologists and other healthcare professionals, they would say, I don't do the brain. I can tell you if the pituitary gland has cancer or is whatever, but we're not, we won't even see a client if you're referring them because they had a concussion. And that was very frustrating because we know the solutions are cross-disciplinary. As you've talked about, when you go into a company, you're looking at all kinds of aspects. Like if, if I'm running a dairy equipment company and you tell me, well, Hank, you first got to get to into who you are as a person. I might go like, what? I just want to make better equipment and stop my staff from complaining and quitting. Mm -hmm. So how do you just very, how do you cross over all the silos you have to get to, to get a solution for the dairy equipment guy? The bottom line is, um, well, first off, we're really intentional about who we work with and who we choose to work with. We're the first organization to say, we don't think we're a good fit. This is what we're about, right? We're here for transformational change. And if you just want operational efficiency, but you're not thinking about the why on the back end, we're not for you. So that's the first thing. But secondarily, and again, this goes back to our, our theory of change, we need to create buy-in first. And so, you know, to use the parallel of the metaphor here, whether we're talking about this hypothetical dairy organization or whether we're talking about the collective society and addressing climate change, there has to be buy-in first. It's really hard to generate buy-in when people are just trying to survive their day-to-day. -day. It's really hard to tell people, here's what you need to do for climate change when they're worried about putting food on the table and keeping the lights on. So that's why we build capacity first, then focus on culture. If someone's gonna sign on you know, with us for the whole board, uh, the whole shooting match, we're starting with capacity because it creates the space to talk about culture in a more authentic way. And then we can, we're also not selling our definition of well-being. We're not saying, here's what wellness looks like. We're saying, what do you want to think about, work on, focus on, improve, et cetera. We're just going to help facilitate a process that meets your needs. So I think that's really the, the fundamental premise of the way that we can provide uh, solutions for any organization. We're not selling you a specific solution. We're selling a process that allows you to design your own solution. And I think and so one of the things, if I could just mention, when, when I was in the clinic, we, we went to a four-day work week. So everybody had Fridays off. And, and that one may seem simple strategy, improve profitability, improve performance, but also improve wellness and the ability of people to have a four-day, like if you have a stat Monday or a stat Friday, you have a four-day weekend, right? You always have a three-day weekend. So all of a sudden, wellness is good for profitability. And that's one of the things that I think is important to talk about sometimes is that the things you're talking about help companies not only take care of their people in a better way and take care of the planet in a better way, but also help with their bottom line in the end. And I think, you know, the example of bees pollinating flowers, they don't get a direct benefit. The next generation does. And I guess we have to try to think like that. Like I was thinking as you were talking, if I gave 100 people free clover seeds, how many would plant them by throwing them on their lawn? That's all you got. You don't have to dig them up as you know. You just throw the seeds on your lawn, you wait, and they, they're out there.
Might try that next year, do a thousand households and see what happens, just give them the seeds. But I won't keep you, because uh, we have to go, but I want to ask you one other question. If you could summarize who your book's for, and, and the book is Soul, sorry, Soil and Spirit. If you could tell us a little bit, just briefly, who's it for? Like, is, is this something you would use in your program or is it something that we should all sort of read to get a better sense of what's going on? Yeah, what I say to people is that the book is my why. It's why I get up in the morning. Mm. Um, this, I, I did not want to write a sales book. You know, we've all, mm. well, perhaps those of us in the entrepreneurial space, we've read those books that, you know, you try and wrap a, a half-baked story around a, a business solution. That is absolutely not what this is. Um, this is a book about personal and spiritual development for the sake of the climate crisis, for the sake of social justice, for the sake of whatever your cause is. It's a book about social, uh, personal and spiritual development and social okay, change for the common good. Yeah, and I, I look forward to reading it. I'm going to pick it up today. I've got some time this afternoon and I'll start grinding away. And uh, with this ADD, I, I focus, I, I have to break up my day into all these chunks. I got white notes everywhere and I do 20, I call it uh, the box technique. So I'll do 20 minutes on this, 20 minutes on that, 20 minutes on that. And and I will get into it. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I wish we had more time. This thing keeps telling me I'm almost out of time, but I just want to say, um, um, yeah, it's, an, it's been an inspiration to talk to you. Um, I think there is, as we talked earlier, there's such a connection between what you call in and out, the inside of the person, as you talk about, and, and you know, taking care of your self-development, which then has an impact on everything around you. It's almost a butterfly effect all over again, right? Um, and, yeah. And can I ask you one more question? All right. How do you deal with evil and not nice people who don't care about the environment or other people? Because that, that's such a tough one especially when you're always wanting to make them better and always thinking there's a chance, right? I can help this person or help this situation. And you just get every time you're nice, it's a weakness and they just try to take you out. You know, um, first things first, I might call myself a solution builder in the organizational space. I'm not a problem solver in the personal space. Um, so, I don't look at the world as a thing to be fixed. That's primary for me. Because if I do that, I look at the world and everything's a problem. I'm naturally oriented, oriented towards um, improvement, you know, but I'm not, it's a miserable life to look out in the world and, you know, see people doing evil things over and over and over again and to only focus on that. I had a teacher tell me one time, we need people on both ends of the spectrum. We need people out in the streets protesting the way that the that things are happening now, but we need people on the other end of the spectrum that are just building new solutions, building new systems. And the moment I heard that, it was the first time that anybody had ever, A, said it so succinctly, and B, gave me permission to just go build new systems. Okay. And so, yeah, I want to, to your go point. Ahead. Go ahead, sorry. Um, we got a minute. I don't, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't try and change anybody. Um, you know, and to address the specificity of people doing evil things, you know, just have compassion for the people that are out there because they're only reflecting what's going on inside themselves. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Ian, Ian Williams, uh, the book is Soil and Spirit, and it was a real spirit to talk to you today. I really appreciate things you said, and it's going to get me thinking all day and probably tomorrow on the treadmill. And uh, we'll be in touch again. Any final thoughts before I let you go? 
I appreciate the opportunity, Hank. I would just uh, encourage everyone out there to take a moment and think about whatever they're taking away from this uh, this interview or listening experience and go make some change. Thanks, man. You have an amazing day. You as well. Thank you very Thanks. much, sir. Bye-bye. Remember to pick up my latest book, What Grandpa Learned from His Honeybees, the little book to be smart with your money and help the environment on Amazon or Audible. Pick it up today.